Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we feature Teeth directors Tom Brown and Daniel Gray of Holbrook's Films. So yes, indeed, welcome to episode 45 of the Squiggly Animation Podcast. I think... One episode away from a four-year anniversary. Oh. Does that sound about right? Happy anniversary, Ben. Did you ever think we'd make it this long, Steve? Well, we had our doubters, but we made it through. All the great couples have their haters. Because <laughs> haters are haters going to hate, yo. They certainly are. Well, pretty much immediately after this podcast goes out, there will be the British Animation Awards. And uh, pretty much immediately after the last podcast went out was the Oscars. So mm. our timing is ship shape. <laughs> <laughs> we like to cover all the lukewarm topics. Luke, tepid tepid topics. That's what you get from this, from the Squiggly Animation podcast. Is there any residual heat from uh, from this year's Oscars? <laughs> well, let's let's stick it in the microwave for a bit, shall we? And uh, and, and see what we get out of it. What did what did you think to the winners, Ben? I've forgotten it was so long ago well uh we would it was inside out right it was inside out for the feature and then the one short film that i think no one had really heard of yeah it was the one that i complained about on the podcast so now it just looks like i'm bitter <laughs> but you know <laughs> bear story wasn't it now uh yes bear story the um key i guess to winning an oscar is mr dicaprio will tell us has put a bear in the thing <laughs> It reminded me a little of that Mr. Ublo. Mm-hmm. Not the story at all, really, um, but just the the nature of this random, quite well-produced CG film that hadn't really made any kind of waves in terms of chatter or, or buzz, just kind of coming in and scooping up the Oscar. Mm. It was a bit of a surprise, I think, to everyone. You know, you look at the film, it was released online shortly after. It's nothing objectionable about it no nope. um in much of the same way there was nothing objectionable about mr hublot but it was no it was no welder tomorrow it was no prologue it was no it really is kind of a testament i i theorized to that kind of out of touch nature of the academy voting and how perhaps they're kind of judging things very superficially that's exactly where i was going to go ben that is perfectly uh described it is it's a testament to it to their kind of blase approach to to animation as an as a as a standalone art form the film is good it is you know technically great i read something about it being a uh the director did it as a response to uh the the pinochet dictatorship if that's the kind of film that he wants to make that's his response to that and if that's what the uh people voting for the oscars has picked have picked up on then then great i'm sure it's a it's a a, a a film which has which deserves its place within animation history and deserves uh, such an accolade. Uh, but as you said earlier on, I think it's just a kind of a case of pick that one because it's got a bear in it. Oh, it's nice. It looks nice. It kind of it's short enough. I don't have to do too much thinking. I don't really have to pay that much attention to it. I can enjoy it. It probably passed the screener DVDs along to their young grandchildren or something like that and ask them to pick one and then you had something with which is so kind of um deep and thoughtful and at the same time effortlessly charming and hilarious like world of tomorrow and yet it's gone to it's gone to bear story which is something we've seen quite a few times you know unless you say something that's not made a splash at you know festivals and and the like hey ho you can never you can never win Unless uh, you make a terrible mm. film. That's my sort of ultimate goal, is to make the film that wins the major award, where everyone's kind of like, oh, <laughs> that film, really? Yeah. I mean, we got to congratulate him either way. But uh, yeah, well done. <laughs> the feature was a bit of a, bit of a letdown for me as well, I, f- I feel. Because it was quite a strong, a real strong lineup this year for the for the feature awards at the Oscars. Mm. Of, the, uh, of the other features, which one would you have preferred to see? Or would you have preferred either? I think I would have preferred either, to be honest, for for different reasons. But yeah, I will. I I really I really liked Anomalisa. Anomalisa for me, um, 
had everything in it that I believe a uh, Oscar award-winning feature film should have in it. And I really like Shaun the Sheep because it was, I, I suppose, a, a, a plucky outsider. So, you know, I, I did have uh, a, a love for those two films. I think the uh, the emotion in both of them, I suppose probably people wouldn't consider Shaun the Sheep that emotional a film on the outside, but there were lots of little moments in it that in a very kind of played down way, I felt a little bit more sort of emotional investment in in their plight than, to be perfectly honest, the emotions of Inside Out. That whole premise was so overplayed that certainly the jokes worked very well. And I thought the the nice sort of, you know, little lesson we learn about the dichotomy of happy versus sad and how actually one actually can benefit the other and vice versa. Mm. You know, that was a nice idea. But then, you know, the... the I'm sorry, if you really were upset by that imaginary friend fading away, then you need to get your f***ing estrogen levels checked. (laughs) And I'm talking to the women of the squiggly audience. Right. (laughs) That wasn't sad. It was first of all, it was a horrible character. It was the design was it. It was a good design in the sense that it's the kind of thing, you know, a preschool kid would come up with. Yeah. It was this very sort of archaic, almost Disney goofball character. Yeah. The kind that you you see in the the older, more classical Disney films and tolerate because of the times that uh, these films were made in. That's I think kind of if not died out. It certainly adapted over time and became more tolerable. So when you um, uh, look at films from the 90s on, I guess, they kind of gave them actual sort of dimensionality. So um, uh, who was uh, Gaston's little mate? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mor- not Maurice, was it? Pro- uh, you know the one I mean. Maurice was the dad, I think. Yeah, no, the little the little guy with big nose. Kind of, that sort of, to me, represents kind of a transitional phase of yeah. the, the Disney wacky sidekick. And, um, you know, by the time it got to stuff like Hercules and beyond, you know, it was it was a little more refined. Mm. But certainly that very specific voice performance and um, wherever wherever I go, calamity will follow. All right. <laughs> well, that one, you, you know, this one as well, the, from the Star Wars films that everyone hated. Uh, it was an alien that... Jar Jar Binks, yeah. Yeah, throw it in for the kids. And I'm, this is a kid's film, so, you know, the joke's on me. I'm the one ranting and raving about it on a podcast, <laughs> plus your old man. Um, anyway, I, my point being that, yeah, you're going to evaluate the emotional impact of one film over the others. Probably, I felt Inside Out had the least mm. going for it in that respect, even considering what it was about. I thought Anomalisa was, it wasn't sad, really, but it was. there was a certain element of despair to it. Yeah, a very appealing element of despair that you get from pretty much all of Charlie Kaufman's films. Mm. Uh, I felt it was blessedly toned down when compared to his previous film, uh, *Synecdoche, New York*, mm. which was it perhaps that film was a little over long. It felt like the point was made earlier on in the film, and to keep like you know rubbing poor Philip Seymour Hoffman's face <laughs> in this purgatorial despair and all the worst nightmares of you know uh, his, his what would happen to his daughter what would happen to the world after he died his wife his blah 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 it got a bit much I think, yeah. after a while great film but i gotta watch it like in bits this really sort of felt more like the kind of uh, manageable bite-sized chunks of charlie kaufman despair mm. that uh, you got from stuff like eternal sunshine and adaptation and and the like and I found it very relatable. I will talk, I think, perhaps in more detail about Anomalisa once it's out in cinemas. Yeah. Uh, which will be very shortly, if you're listening to this, when the podcast goes out. We have some stuff on the film. Of course, your review went up recently, and uh, we have an interview with the directors, which uh, will be on the site very soon, if it's not already. And uh, they'll be in an upcoming podcast. I think we both have quite a lot to say about Anomalisa, so I'll, I'll curb my... Uh, Let's keep it in the bank. Yeah. Point being, though, the very belated point being that, yeah, I felt that one was perhaps a little more of a deserving winner. Mm. Uh, but, you know, hey, you can't deny that of the nominees, Inside Out was the one that was probably the most uh, universally beloved by children and uh, weary parents. Did you did you see that uh, P- 
Pete Doctor used the the opportunity of uh, winning the the Oscar to tell his kids that they could have a dog. Ah, no, not ah. This is this is my problem. Is that this guy's won so many awards? He's now using them to kind of this kind of global platform to just communicate with his kids. He spends so I bet much. His kids were just sitting in the front row texting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's using it for like administrative, family administrative purposes to tell them that they can have a dog. Well, it's like what is Oscar? Oh, it's the Oscar. Yeah, you can have a dog. Don't worry about it. It's like you know finishing off a conversation. I remember when Pete Doctor presented uh, Inside Out at Annecy about two years ago, hmm. had a little PowerPoint presentation that began with a picture of his teenage daughter just covering her face because her dad was taking a picture of her. It doesn't matter who your dad is. <laughs> if he's your dad and he's taking a picture of you, you, you can't get rid of him fast enough. Yeah, yeah. It's odd, isn't it? I remember we, talk, we spoke about that Annecy preview of the film and you described the bit which was in an earlier trailer where it was both parents uh, thinking, and it was a trip inside each of the heads. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she had her first kind of teenage strop. And that all seemed like proper gold. I was really looking forward to it. Like, really looking forward to, the, to, to a film about that yeah. and all the kind of avenues and the things that could be explored um, with that as a premise. But unfortunately, I don't think it really encapsulated that too well. I got the wrong end of the stick, I think, from it, or perhaps it was the way it was presented. Uh, I thought it was a film about a, a little girl going through puberty, mm. and what a nightmare that is for the parents and the girl and for you know everyone who's ever sort of lived through that. You know, I remember when I was a young lady blossoming <laughs> into womanhood, and it was not an easy time. Yeah. That, I think there would have been a lot more mileage for a lot of really good sort of, like, comedy stuff that older people could get a kick out of in hindsight. Hmm. I didn't realize that the whole like film takes place over like a really short period of time. Like it's like the span of time she takes to sort of half-heartedly run away from home. Yeah. She goes to the bus stop and then back or something. I thought this was going to take place over like years. Yeah. And like the happy ending was going to be her sort of emerging, you know, 15, 16, um, as the acne's clearing up. Um, <laughs> And the, but then I guess that it turns out the end of the film is like, you know, the puberty button appears. What does this mean? Yeah. The sequel button appeared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was okay. I, I, I had higher hopes for it. I think certainly if one were to listen back to uh, whichever episode that was, you could hear that. But uh, And also, of course, the trailer then ruined that scene mm. because they just put like a version of the scene together with all the timing off. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I hate it when they do that. Like, I think the qualification when one is applying for the job of trailer editor uh, is to just have no discernible intuitive sense of comedic timing or appreciation for what actually makes the moments in the film <laughs> have impact. And I saw that someone, like, someone was so angry by the new Ghostbusters trailer that they just redid it. Like, they just cut out all the unfunny shit. Yeah, did they just stick I just clips of Bill Murray and, uh, and Dan Aykroyd and all, all the old people? And just, this is this better. They just but, upload the thirty-year-old Ghostbuster trailer. Yeah, <laughs> fixed. <laughs> when the film hasn't come out yet, you never really know. Well, is this a bad film that the trailer's trying to dress up, or is this um, a good film that the trailer's kind of ruining? I felt that a lot was riding on a first trailer for that particular film. Yeah, it was a bit of a letdown. I think they kind of made a bit of a balls up of that. Mm. But my issue was, and this is the old man in me, is just like, oh, I, I miss the old proper ghosts. Yeah. Costumes and animatronics and matting effects from 1985 or whatever. <laughs> which, oh, Blu-ray is not kind to those. No. I, no, uh, no. <laughs> that film definitely looked better on VHS. <laughs> but even the, the bad version of that looked better to me than what I guess is quite high-end CG animation. Yeah. Like, they're having fun with it, but, like, I should and I should be in animation's corner, obviously, but... There was a, there was a short clip of a Slimer in the trailer, wasn't there? Slimer right. turned up. And he looked very well-animated, very kind of, mm. you know, flexible. But I just remember foam latex Slimer, obviously clearly looking like a sock puppet or something, you know, with a, with a simple mechanic of him filling his face full of food. Yeah. Obviously, because he's a puppet, there's no, you know, just just mashing this kind of food. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was, you know, as a kid, that was that was brilliant. It's squidgy kind of real puppet thing. And then in this trailer, it it looks 
eh, maybe a bit too polished. Maybe because I know animation and I know that that would have been, you know, rigged and made in a computer. Um, it's it's the same argument against any time CG replaces something that existed as a physically crafted thing. Mm. You know, it's, it's the successor to what happened to Ninja Turtles recently. Uh, anything that would have involved a stop-motion demon or villain or whatever. When I think of stuff like how Tim Burton used those nice old stop-motion effects in Beetlejuice and how that was very nearly, I guess, the plan for Mars Attacks and... I think maybe people would probably talk about Mars Attacks in a more favorable way now yeah. if they'd gone with that, with something nice and camp and fun like that. Because what we get now is a film with very bad mid-90s CG mm-hmm. that looked pretty bad at the time, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Like, I, I remember, like, feeling as a kid that the rise of CG in films, you know, it was happening before it was good and ready. Yes. You know? Yeah. But it was okay when it was used really sparingly, like in The Mask. Yeah, I was just about to mention The Mask. And now it's sort of like it's gone too much the other way. It's like it's so real, it's it feels like it clashes. It's so detailed and so mm. intricate that, you know, the actual real life that the film cameras are picking up is less definition. <laughs> I, the only film recently that sort of done a good job of that was a film called Troll Hunter. And the reason it worked a little better was that it was the whole premise of the film is that it's it's that kind of Blair Witch style found footage mm-hmm. type film. And the footage and the CG post compositing everything together is degraded to make it look like found footage. Yeah. So everything kind of looks equally shit. <laughs> and that, that really went a long way toward blending the two environments. Yeah. The live action and the CG. You wouldn't be able to get that in something like Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and then, like you say, the, the new Ghostbusters is a bit kind of just Instagram ghost filter, which will probably be something of the release, like an app that can turn you into a uh, Ghostbusters ghost, maybe. Who knows? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I, of all the many, many sort of things that they continue to do to flagellate that franchise, you know, I'm sort of amazed that they haven't made more movies. Mm. And I, um, I'm sort of relieved in a way that they never ended up making a third one with the original guys. I, I think that wouldn't have been as good as people think. So the uh, the audiences, uh, the general sort of consensus, I think, uh, as far as audience response to the Oscars, it's been pretty much uh, united. A lot of people are kind of equally confused, perhaps. Mm. We had a few comments through. Of course, you can always get in touch with Squiggly at squiggly.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us via email, ben at squiggly.co.uk, steve at squiggly.co.uk, twitter.com slash squiggly, facebook.com slash squiggly magazine, all the usual avenues. And you could, of course, comment on articles and such like. Uh, comment through from Noodly Bits as regards the Oscars. Bear's story was beautifully made and interminable. Quite a good capsule review there. Yeah. I preferred all of the other nominees. I'm at least grateful that the absolutely atrocious Anomalisa did not win. Wow. What was wrong with Anomalisa? Don't sit on the fence, mate. I, uh, I, I've heard a couple of like comments here and there about Anomalisa, but generally speaking, like the aggregated uh, response has been like incredibly positive. Mm. Whenever I like something, like an album or a film or whatever, or a book, I, I always enjoy reading negative reviews yeah just to sort of see what the person sort of take it why there's an issue if there's an issue i've read a couple of negative reviews of anomalisa and there was one in particular it was quite astonishing like how and it's not like you have to be like smart or highbrow to get something out of the film i do 100 percent understand if people don't necessarily engage with the film because it's not necessarily the most relatable story in the world mm-hmm. this review which could be found on Pilot Online, penned by Mal Vincent. What I found sort of telling about this type of review, it's written by someone who both decries pretension and and is incredibly pretentious, mm. which I find are the people who are often the most annoyed by like the idea of people being pretentious or people who are quite pretentious themselves, like people who just say utilize instead of use, but they don't really know why. And I think that this person, in a very pretentious way, is sort of condemning the film. 
It is, we are told, existential, a word I learned in sophomore year at UNC Chapel Hill and have used ever since when I'm desperate to sound smart. What a weird thing to write in a review. Calvin has been proclaimed a genius by some imaginative but desperate critics, while he's been largely ignored at the box office. His praised as well as infamous films include Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine. I saw them all once, but I was paid. Not enough, but something. This guy got, must be a scream at dinner parties. <laughs> he'd, only, he'd only turn up to him if he was paid. I assume that the average squiggly reader is a little bit more uh, enlightened and articulate. I would be quite uh, interested to hear more from Noodly Bits, uh, who, if he has any thoughts on why exactly he thought Anomalisa was atrocious. Or, um, or any of the readers. I mean, we can read them out in the next podcast if we're going to be... Uh, discussing Anomalisa, I'd be very interested to hear what uh, the squiggly audience has to say. Also, as regards the uh, the Oscar results, New Riki on Twitter responded, Despite technical virtuosity, Bear Story is mawkishly old hat. I'm enjoying the descriptions. <laughs> I, I don't want to be mean to the poor fellows who made this film. Um, well, what have they ever done for me? F***ing hell. <laughs> but I like the... The choice of description there. Mm. Couldn't Oscars handle the dark cosmic genius of Don Hertzfeld? Uh, I'll go ahead and venture an answer to that one. Probably not. <laughs> I doubt it. I, I think it would just go above their heads. I think they, you know, when you show someone something brilliant and genius and they just look at it like, this is stupid. Yeah. What was it Bill Hicks used to say when he, his audiences were, it's like a dog being shown a card trick. <laughs> What's a dog going to get out of it, you know? <laughs> and I don't think that it makes them better people or worse people or whatever. Like, if you get a film or you don't get a film or a film isn't your sense of humor. But I'm sure there are lots of people, if you showed them World of Tomorrow, they'd be like, well, th- what, what are you talking about? This isn't good. This isn't funny. Mm. And I know why I think they're wrong and why I find it wonderful and very funny and very witty and even sort of oddly moving. A lot of it would be very hard to articulate and, and convey luckily in the in the world of animation you know it's not all the same old same old you know still plenty of uh, juicy original you know thought-provoking stuff which you can find on squiggly of course the ultimate resource <laughs> the event that will be celebrating our fair nation's contribution to the juicy world of animation british animation awards which will probably have happened <laughs> like if, you, if you haven't listened to this within the first 48 hours of it going up. So you're going to be more in the know about it than we are, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> if you visited squiggly.com, we'll have written it up, I'm sure. We sound so stupid now, Ben. <laughs> Listen to us. God, we're so dumb in the past. <laughs> but we talked about the uh, the finalists mm-hmm. in the last episode of the podcast. And uh, I mean, I, as I think we both said back then, it's, it's something that I... It's a little less obvious the choices than say stuff like the BAFTAs and the Oscars there's a little more um uh discovery to be had mm. you know regardless of who wins uh certainly if you just sort of peruse the uh the nominees there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff stuff that you might not have heard of yet they should definitely have a look at the uh the Facebook page as well the uh, British Animation Awards Facebook page because they've started to post up the fantastic awards that people can win. And I'm insanely jealous with every single one that they post up. Well, the three uh, contenders for Best Short Film, which we talked about last episode, of the three, one of them was released online very recently, Teeth, by Daniel Gray and Tom Brown of Holbrook's Films. You may know them as the uh, directors of the film Tom. Many moons ago now, I think it was 2007, was it? 2008? 2006. Good Lord. Yeah. Where does the time go? Mm. Uh, I think there was a student film, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was a Newport film. Continued to produce commercial work and various projects uh, in the interim. So I guess this is really their, technically speaking, Teeth would be their sort of first quote-unquote professional film, but certainly in terms of professional accolades and audience uh, enthusiasm and critical response, I would imagine most people consider it their second film film Mm. after Tom or T.O.M., it has a lot of the same kind of uh, unease, turned up to 11, as the saying goes. Yeah. And again, I think we, we it's come up quite a few times over the last sort of nine months or so, uh, as it's been doing the rounds in the festival circuit. It's a fantastic example of just really, really wonderful 
painterly animation, the foley work is just, you know, it's divine in the sense that it makes you want to peel your skin off. <laughs> it's, it's, and, you know, Richard E. Grant as a narrator does a wonderful job. It's a really sort of top-notch piece of work, and it's definitely one of the uh, films that sort of topped a lot of critics' lists last year. Mm. So I would say it's uh, certainly a worthy contender for a British Animation Award. We also were able to put up an early version of the film. The uh, the script as well. The, the script and a few kind of behind-the-scenes video clips that they showed us. They, they put together for our article the... Um a uh, demonstration of, of how, just how many layers uh, went into creating that painted effect. You can see that if you check it out on squiggly.com, give it a little search. I'm not going to read out the URL because it's massive. <laughs> <laughs> but just type in teeth in the search bar. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll pop up if it's not still on the main page by the time you're listening to this. It's definitely worth a look. Lots of wonderful uh, uh, early artwork, like you say, and development stuff. And we have the directors themselves, Daniel Gray and Tom Brown, of Holbrook's films here on this very podcast to talk a little bit about it. Tom Brown, Daniel Gray, thank you very much for speaking to Squiggly today. If you'd like to introduce yourself so we get a familiar feel for your voices. Uh, hello, I'm Tom Brown. And hello, I'm Daniel Gray. Excellent. Now everyone knows who you are. Well, we're recording this. It's quite an international affair, really. Dan, you're in Budapest. Tom, you're in New York. And yet you guys still manage to make films together. How does that work? <laughs> very broad question. <laughs> it just works. Um, no, uh, a lot of internet, a lot of Dropbox, a lot of Google Drive, and a lot of time difference, rage, sweat. We like to spin it that we have a 24-hour workforce because 2 a.m. when I go to sleep, Daniel Gray's already working. And then whenever it, I happen to wake up, <laughs> <laughs> Dan is still there. Holbrook's Films is the, is the company that never sleeps. That's a, that's a good tagline. <laughs> you guys first met uh, at uni back in 2003, was it? Uh, yeah. That Newport. It definitely was Newport when it existed. And that's where you made uh, T.O.M. Yeah, that was our graduation film together. But we made a, a film, the first film we worked together was, uh, what was it? Can you remember the order of the name, Tom? Cat, Cat Tower. I, no, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met on a film doing a group project and then uh, we kept working after that. So T.O.M. was our graduation film, but the second time we worked together. When you created uh, T.O.M., what were you aiming for as a, as a kind of graduation piece? Because it's quite a unique film, and it did very well. What were we aiming for? Another broad question there. For yeah. You. Well, obviously, we were aiming to make a really good film. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we were trying to... I think we'd been to Annecy a few times, and we had this romantic notion that we could make a film and hopefully get into Annecy and, and experience that. So uh, from a very basic point of view... We were trying to get into Annecy, <laughs> but as a as a creative exercise, we just wanted to, I guess, make the best graduation film ever. <laughs> it's a fair it's a fair ambition. So, was was there a particular formula that you had in mind when you were making Tom that you figured, well, this is the kind of thing that will get into a festival? Well, I didn't think it was a. I don't think it was a formula that we were trying to follow. No, no. We just realised that you know it had to be a good film. Yeah, you had to work really hard on it and you had to make sure there's no flaws in it. You had to, I think, with uh, us and ideas, they, we, I think we have a good uh, eye for a good idea and a good uh, eye for a sense of tone. Uh, so it was just mm. testing that out on the world, I think. Uh, it obviously worked. You, you're back together for, to make uh, Teeth, which has been uh, wildly successful, one of the most uh, accoladed films of the last uh, 18 months, I suppose, scooping up awards everywhere. And it's a kind of a similar, I don't want to say formula, but it's a similar kind of story. It's like odd characters on their own little odd quest. Do you have a kind of an affection for for weirdos when you're trying to, <laughs> when you're trying to put a film together <sighs> or coming up with a story? Well, originally there were two people in that story. Uh, I think it's, In Teeth? Yeah, in Teeth. I think it's just when we focus the, or distill the story down to make it as effective as possible, uh, that, ten, that kind of mechanism of, of a single person kind of uh, is a very effective way to, to do three or five minutes or six minutes to an audience. And mm. I guess even though they're similar in the fact that there's a single person and a single narrative, the kind of emotions we're playing with are different and the way we want to manipulate an audience is, is slightly different as well. 
Yeah, I think we we enjoyed the trope that we used in TOM where we created a visual aesthetic that was uh, quite appealing and used that, as Daniel says, a Trojan horse to get in this like weird narrative so the audience is sort of going along with what's happening and then before they really realize what's happened, they're in this like crazy world of the weirdo protagonist. Yeah, mm. we tell them a truth and they believe that truth. <laughs> I was going to ask about uh, the, the look of the film because it's a beautifully illustrated style. Who, who's responsible for that? Uh, Tom is. For... The, mad, the madness was my doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to admit. Do you want to talk us through that, Tom? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really building on the style that we started with TOM and we were just building up the because we when we first did TOM it was our first foray into sort of completely digital art and then in this project again we used Photoshop and really we were just building up the layers of shadow and highlight in teeth to what was maybe excessive <laughs> which is maybe why it took so long but seven uh, years of frustration yeah <laughs> sorry sorry how many years Seven. Well, I think it was eight by the time we finished, but yeah. So we learned a lot in those eight years. <laughs> wow. And this is from a, a company that's open 24-7. Yeah, that's well, we, true. <laughs> we've got other things. Got to earn a living. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not having a go. <laughs> yeah, we, we also wanted it to be like a real expression of our true selves as artists rather than commercial artists because... Probably rightly so when you're doing a commercial project, you have things like deadlines and schedules. <laughs> and we didn't really have that other than the idea that we wanted to try and premiere at Sundance. But we didn't say which Sundance. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were just exploring. We wanted like a really rich aesthetic. And so we came up with this really uh, unachievably commercial animation, which... I mean, it would be impossible to try and make a commercial like that because it was so complicated. It's like hundreds of layers of color, each with their own layer of shadow and highlight. It was, uh, yeah. But on the, on the success of the film, surely you've been approached by people to recreate it in advertising. Advertisers don't really want to go for that creepy, creepy vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't, I can't see him advertising perfume. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, yeah. We did well, the advertisers have, like it, but how, <laughs> do you, how do you fit what we do in with that directly? I, we, yeah, we were actually, uh, we just made a film uh, with Vice for the Red charity, and we showed them teeth, and we sort of sold them on the mood and the aesthetic, but less on the sort of cumbersome animation process. So we... We have sort of, but also it's not really out apart from at film festivals. So no one's really seen it yet in the commercial world. Right. Well, man the phones when it does actually get released. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the way the film was actually put together. And um, something that I, I noticed about this film, comparing it to TOM, was that there's a lot more kind of point of view shots particularly from inside the mouth what was the thought process behind that when when you began storyboarding or writing the film well the 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 whole film is basically indoors and we uh, it's all from memory so we wanted to get this um the the guy talking is is very focused on a particular point of his memory so we wanted to not get distracted on the telling of faces or of of other people where the main focus should be on this sort of mouth area. Uh, and we also wanted to have that claustrophobic feeling which would come with with such a focused uh, a recollection as well. We, we kind of liked the way that, um, I think Tom described it as when you go into a bathroom toilet, uh, bathroom toilet, airplane toilet, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you can see all this horrible detail and you're too close to the mirror to be able to see your whole face properly. So we wanted to get that kind of self-disgust, really, on my claustrophobia. Wow. I think you've you definitely achieved that. There, there are certain elements to the film which you use, uh, apart, apart from the claustrophobia, flies seem to be quite uh, <laughs> prominent in the film. What's the, thought, what's the thought process behind that? 
Uh, that was to do with the mother not being there. So he gets take the mother get leaves the story right at the beginning with the uh, boob bite, and um, it was sort of symbolising a sort of uncleaned house, as in uh, someone not being sort of there in that sort of role to to get rid of those little items. And then as the film goes on, it it starts to uh, to signify that skewiff sort of rotting thing as well, rotting of perspective and idea as well as bodies. Right, so, so this kid's been left to fend for himself effectively from the age of two. Well, yeah, the, the mother hasn't, we, we don't say she's left the house or anything, but the interest has gone. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So it could, it's, well, the, the nice thing about short films like that is you don't leave the audience alone long enough for them to start wondering where that's, where the mother's gone. Mm. But we sort of leave hints and traps around for it. With the writing process, something that both TOM and Teeth have is uh, a kind of, a, I want to use the word punchline at the end. Mm -hmm. Do you aim towards that? Uh, for TOM, we didn't, want, we didn't want to have it as a punchline at the end. It was, we kind of thought of it more like, um, I guess, a realisation of the, of the mood. So we held it extra long at the end as well to try and get it not to be so much of a sort of drum symbol crash thing but to make you feel very awkward with this one we did want we did want a kind of explanation of, of the story make it feel a bit more like a, a sudden incident so it's and it works or it's it's a really nice uh, mechanic to have the the tone land on the on the plate almost like a symbol crash it's nice so yeah we have a punch definitely a punchline in team. yeah i think you actually do feel the uncomfortableness uh in in tom as well yeah, and and maybe people reach for their gobs when uh, when they see the end of um, teeth. Yeah, yeah, it's when when you watch teeth in um, with an audience, it's it's a really interesting experience. You can feel people stopping breathing at certain points, and it's it's really weird tension in the room. It's really nice. Yeah, I like to stand on the sidelines or sit in the back and watch everyone recoiling in horror, <laughs> especially especially if people start reacting quite a lot at the beginning and I'm like oh you just wait <laughs> <laughs> you know you're in for a good show there Tom when <laughs> yeah <laughs> um is there any particular a moment that people have have kind of come up to you and said that that's the bit that did it for me really I mean I personally the bit with the knife rang a little bit in my ears that is I think the def definitely the most popular scene of horror <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think really it's a lot down to the the sound design as well, which was done by our friends Ant Food. Uh, yeah. Did you set out to make a horror film? It's something that Richard E. Grant lends his voice to, and it kind of gives that vibe. But it was it, did you set out to make a kind of a, a shocking film? Or we definitely wanted to make a film that was uh, uncomfortable for the viewer, but not necessarily a horror film. But it was it was actually when we got the uh, the first working progress of the sound design back from Ant Food that we realized that not only was it a real film that we were making, but it was also sort of a horror film. Yeah, it was, um, we, we kind of like, well, really enjoy uh, the sort of audience manipulation thing. And we, we really wanted to make people feel uncomfortable en masse in, in the room with this story. But like Tom says, yeah, it was, it turned into a horror film, but it wasn't our initial goal. I think maybe just because we didn't understand the, properly the tropes of a horror film. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. We do know horror tropes. Well, I do. <laughs> but it's just, I guess it's very, there's not many functioning short animated horror films, really. They tend to go towards those sort of tropes which don't work. So maybe that naivety makes it work. Yeah. We did aim to, our goal was to have someone run out of the theatre. <laughs> um, did some, something like that happen in Krakow, didn't it? Oh, we, um, yeah. So successful then, somebody actually ran out. <laughs> yeah, so, someone, someone couldn't watch it and then, yeah. You don't really get that with uh, animated short films that often, do you? The aim to be, uh, to, to put people at, at unease. Uh, it's, it's kind of original, I suppose. Um, I guess, like I said, we we really enjoy the opportunity you have in like a film festival to have this group of people together and manipulate them in some kind of way or 
or have them have this shared emotional experience. So the, the I guess we hadn't experienced many films in a when we'd gone to many festivals which did that. So we felt we wanted that as our sort of challenge, really. Mm. And it, I don't I don't mean that to sound like cynical, as in like a we have a task and we do it, but it's something we thought we'd enjoy and something we thought we'd enjoy doing, which is which is why we do it, really. Yeah, there's there's plenty of other people doing uh, sort of genre specific animation storylines. So it's fun to be able to do something different with the same medium. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the writing process and how you guys came together to create a, a film about teeth. Where did this initial idea come from? Oh, uh, that was in Annecy. We were. Well, we were. Was that 2007? Yeah, it was on our way back from. Um, Winning the Annecy Crystal, which was lovely, the <laughs> <laughs> DOM, and uh, our plane, no? Train. Train. Train, <laughs> train hit some kind of animal, and we were stuck on the Eurostar for hours, and Daniel had this weird idea about a homeless man making a set of dentures out of found well, yeah, things, was... like teeth and... No. What that is this? what dentures are made out of. Whistles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like um we had an idea, it was the the whistle thing was one of the ideas which could have been made for our graduation film. And then there was the idea with two brothers with one pair of false teeth, and they was the one brother was stealing the false teeth to use and kept breaking them and oh, replacing yeah. the broken teeth with like sort of toy cars and stuff. Uh and then the way we talk about ideas and stuff is find out what's interesting, what fits, what we want to do. So it was distilled from two people to one. And the, the idea of losing teeth and making teeth was was something which I, we thought could carry a, carry the story a bit better. But the yeah, idea it was a broken that, down train. Yeah. The idea that um, something... Um, I've, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten the line. <laughs> <laughs> Things that are irreplaceable being lost. Irreplaceable. And irreplaceable being lost. Ah, oh, <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> um, it's, it's clearly way too early over in uh, New York. <laughs> <laughs> you don't miss what you got. You, what you got until it's gone. There we go. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Thank God for that train journey then. But it seems to have evolved quite a bit since the initial storage. Was was this all on the train or does, does the evolution over, happen over the past uh, eight years? No, I think the train version was the end of the written version, I think, apart from, you know, grammar and rhythm and stuff. But the story which came off the train is pretty much the final one. Oh, no, it wasn't. Well, it was twice it was as long. Yeah, track. yeah. When we storyboarded it, it lost about half of it. One of the avenues we were going down when we were doing t teeth was each tooth was going to be dated with a closing of a of an institution or something to do with uh, the Tories. So we, when a, a mine got closed or a dockyard, uh, we were looking at each tooth having a date around one of those events. But the uh, it got too dense too quickly for it to to work. Well, if you think about the, the whole thing about when stuff when stuff is neglected, it gets it disappears and you can't replace it. We were talking about the sort of libraries and universities and stuff like that, but it was it was too thick. Mm. Is it, it was it important to lose so much? Did you want it to, did you want to make a longer film? Was it economic or was it a, an actual decision like oh this won't fit in a festival or? It's nothing to do with fitting. It's just uh, what what makes a good story to read. In written text doesn't necessarily transfer directly to an animation or film. A lot of a lot of like description or or stuff can be done in like a few images or a few moments and things which seem interesting or relevant written down seem can be boring when you try and sort of over explain them literally in animation. So it's just it's just the interpretation loses stuff. Hmm. And if it was twice as long we'd still be making it. That's true. In eight years. <laughs> 16 years, yeah. <laughs> Blimey. So the film's had absolutely tremendous success. Have you have you enjoyed following it around festivals and such? I've had the 
best and worst year of my life. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> my credit card is very full, uh, but I went to a lot of places. So it was good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> is, that, is that one of the, the drawbacks to success as an animator is that uh, it's not like being a film star or a, a director of a, a live action. They won't, you won't get sent places. You have to do it all off your own back. That's true, but when you're there, you get to pretend that you are one of those things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you're at a film festival and tell someone you have a short film and their eyes glaze over and then you say it's an animated film and they just walk away without saying anything. Oh. <laughs> you still get to pretend that you're one of the, one of the big guys over there. <laughs> Has that actually happened? Yeah. Well, only the big ones, I think. Yeah. The smaller festivals, everyone's interested, but yeah, at the biggest film festivals, an animated short is you know, the lowest of the low. Lowest of the low. Even experimental films are higher regarded. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that. That will never do. Then, so uh, do you have any particular favourite festivals or particular favourite moments while you've been uh, showered with awards? Well, always Annecy. Mm -hmm. Love Annecy. Don't know, Daniel. Daniel did most of the European ones because he's in Europe. And I did most. Yeah, of I was the just American trying to think. Ones. I was thought Tom was buying me some thinking time then. Oh, well, I can keep going. <laughs> I South by Southwest, always great fun. <laughs> Premiering at Sundance was incredible, even though I shamed myself with too much selfie stick. <laughs> well, I went to festival in actually one of the best audience reactions was in. Guanajuato Film Festival when they played it outside in the middle of a square and there was a couple of hundred drunk Mexican people and the guy behind me was uh, I guess I can't swear but he was swearing and then at the end of the film he was like what is this? What is this? And then right at the end of the film he was like what the fuck? What the fuck man? What the fuck was that? And then he'd seen me up on stage before, so he knew that I was sat right in front of him. But that was really enjoyable to see his <laughs> displeasure. His <laughs> rage. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I like this. I like this image of uh, of you guys traveling around the world, just annoying people <laughs> with, your, <laughs> with your film. <laughs> so thank God, you know, we we appreciate, we love it. But uh, those that aren't versed in animation uh, or film, just being <laughs> annoyed by it's the good. film, it, cre it sneaks up on people as well. People sit down to animations expecting, you know, uh, a lovely time, and then and then we happen. Yeah. Um, we, we had some good reactions from, um, we, we put it in, this is not a cartoon, uh, okay. the touring um, uh, programs, and it, and it got a really nice reaction. I say nice reaction, uh, it got the reaction that you guys would uh, probably call nice. <laughs> <laughs> it did its job. It did its, it certainly did its job. Nobody ran out of the cinemas and no one was screaming, what the fuck, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> people did reach for the mouths, which was nice to see. Excellent. So what are you guys working on now? Are you doing another short film together? Yep. Yes. Yep. Ah, is it, uh, is it uh, are you allowed to say anything about it or is it shrouded in mystery for the next eight years? It will well, not we're hoping to do it quicker, yeah, more quickly. What can we say about it? It's a little bit, is it different to our normal ones? I guess it is. It's a little bit different, but it's still a, definitely a Holbrook film. It's, um, how would you describe it without giving it away? <laughs> it, it, it should be an affecting film. An effect, affecting? Affecting, yes. I don't think the pronunciation counts as much as the spelling. Okay, AF. <laughs> I like how you, you're trying to get away without saying too much by going around grammar and, and spelling, but uh, I'll, I'll take it as something to look forward to. Oh, well, yeah, it's going to be great, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit longer, but it's going to take a little bit less time to make. And okay. we're, we're just trying to put together a uh, co production budget so that we can uh, get some help with this film without asking uh, people to work for free on the off chance that they might get to go to a film festival with us. <laughs> Which was very nice. Leland Goodman, who did the backgrounds, a wonderful artist, uh, she really helped us out and, and food with the sound. But it would be nice to get some animation help so it doesn't take eight years. And a little bit, a little bit money, be nice. 
Excellent. As you continue making these short films, do you find there's an evolution in, in your goals? As in, uh, you first wanted to get to Annecy, and then it was then you premiered at Sundance, and you know now it's a kind of what you want to do next as as short filmmakers. Aside from the actual goal of making the film, the goal of making it in a certain way. I guess for us now, it's the goal is more making us better filmmakers. I guess I don't I don't think we we when we're making short films, even though they're animated, I think we try to make films more than animation. And I think it's just trying to make us, I guess we're trying to learn, trying to be good at it. And to stay relevant. That's my to goal. stay relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Gray, Tom Brown, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today. Thanks. Thank All I can do is apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Gray and Tom Brown there, the directors of Teeth. Thanks very much to both of them, and be sure to check out their work at holbrooksfilms.com. So, uh, just a quick reminder before we wrap things up, this is not a cartoon. Squiggly's very own screening of animated short films uh, is returning to some familiar venues uh, in the northwest, namely the Science Centre in Stoke-on-Trent on Friday the 18th of March. Um, we'll be joined by Vandals and brave new old director Adam Wells uh, for a Q&A following the screening. And then on the 26th of March, uh, at home in Manchester, we'll be joined by In The Air is Christopher Gray director Felix Massey for a Q&A uh, following the screening. And on the same day, the 26th of March, uh, the same programme will be screening at the Dukes in Lancaster. Uh, so for full details, go along to www.thisisnotacartoon.com uh, for details of which films are going to be in the programme for directors and uh, guests and all the other good stuff. Hope to see some of you there. Whilst I'm plugging, the Leeds Young Film Festival's back, uh, and this year they've got an animation focus. Uh, the festival runs from the 24th of March to the 31st of March, and on the 27th, Sunday the 27th, at 1.30pm in the afternoon at the Carriageworks Theatre, we'll be doing the great big squiggly family animation quiz, which will be a family-friendly version of the squiggly animation quiz where it'll be kids versus adults so if you're an adult bring some kids along your own kids obviously and if you're a kid bring some adults along your own adults obviously and we'll see who wins uh, some fabulous prizes to be won uh, so get yourselves down there and that's at leeds young film festival on sunday the 27th of march at 1 30 p.m there's plenty of fantastic things happening at the leeds young film festival so for more details head on to their website leedsyoungfilm.com and if any of you are going to be at the British Animation Awards this Thursday, March 10th, we will be there also. So hopefully see some of you there. Don't be shy. Thanks everyone for listening. And of course, to stay updated, find us on Twitter at Squiggly. I'm on Twitter at Benel Mitchell and Steve is at Mr. Underscore S underscore Henderson. If you want to give either of us a good stalking. And as always, keep checking out squiggly.com for all the latest animation coverage of ours. Some great stuff coming up we're really excited about. So keep them peeled. Until then, happy animating.